Hi, I'm Annalyn Miller. I am wife, mom, realtor, and co-author of Incredible Parent and Play to Their Strengths. In today's episode, you are going to hear about why thinking your kid is all good or all bad is not a good place to be. Welcome back to part three of our show with our special guests, who are Brendan and Annalyn Miller and Dr. Ryan Darby. We're talking about parenting and how to be an incredible parent. What does that actually mean? And moreover, is it possible to parent by playing to the strengths of your children and understanding what your own strengths are? Now, we've, we've talked about a lot of different things throughout the show so far, but the place I wanna go in this particular part of the show is from a psychology point of view, there are developmental stages that all human beings pass through. Well, quote unquote, although I never like the word normal human beings go through. Um, and your kids are gonna pass through those phases, whether you like it or not. And most of us don't like it particularly very much at the time. Um, I have a new grandchild who is uh, 12 weeks old as we record this. And already watching the difference in a 12 week old kid is phenomenal as i said last week when we went to visit her oh that's interesting she's gone from play-doh to a person because i used to hold her before it was like it was like play-doh it was gonna slip through my fingers there was nothing solid and now i'm holding her and she holds her head up and she's solid and you know it's it's, it's vastly different and that's just at a physical level but even the way that you know the vision works um you know for the first while those babies can't see you unless you're super close to them. Then they need you to back off because they can't see you unless you're a little bit further away. And the, the you know, the smiles initially are not really smiles. They're more um, gas. <laughs> um, and then, you know, there's all these different stages. And of course, they expand from there. So let's talk about the developmental stages of children that are sort of more universal. Um, and then the examination of that inside of your own family, and then looking at it from a place of, well, okay, so how do you apply this from the strength-based model, which I know that um, Brendan, your company uh, is based on, that you and Darren have, uh, because you're 34 Strong, it's a fabulous company doing great work with strength-based inside companies and, and organizations around leadership, and you've taken that model and inserted it into parenting. So let's start with the developmental model. Um, would you be willing to walk us through a little bit of that, Ryan, just so that our audience understands how that sort of plays out? What, what are sort of normal stages? We can come back in and out on that, and then we'll go to the other parts of how it's showing up. Yeah, I actually like to think of this in basically in three stages, for, just for real, very easy understanding. Yeah. So in the beginning, like when your kids are young, the primary way that they're going to learn and they're going to interact with the world is through play. And this is going to go on from early childhood up until probably seven, eight, nine, mm -hmm. depending on your child. And so this is an age in which your children will love fantasy, they'll love doing, they're very active at that stage. They want to play with you. Um, they also want to, they're starting to want to play with other kids, right? Mm -hmm. When they're really young, they, they'll play by themselves, but eventually they start to be like, okay, these other kids are cool and they start to play, but their primary ways of learning at that stage is going through play, right? Um, their body's really, really growing. 
And then they move into this, this really interesting stage. It's going to happen around 10, um, 9, 10, and go, let's call it 13-ish, in which they start to explore things related to their cognitive abilities, right? They start to explore things that are they're passionate about, their things they're interested in. They start to become like huge Harry Potter fans, for example. And they're like, what is this? I want to know everything there is to know about Harry Potter. And so they'll get super deep into things, right? They'll just have these passions and pursuits and they'll flip it. It's very normal for your child to be like Harry Potter one day and then nope, I'm 100% into dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are so cool. And now they're into soccer. And so they're exploring different knowledge bases. So it's kind of a knowledge exploration. Around that age though, they'll start to do something else that's really interesting. By the way, they're very, very social. They, kids will become more and more social as, as they're getting older. And that's perfectly normal. Once they get into the teen years, those are the years that I'm going to call the in, independent years. And that's when your kids are starting to say, okay, well, who am I? And how can I be me? How can I make my own choices? How can I be responsible for things? And one of the reasons why we, we as parents say there's so much conflict in the teen years is because we're still trying to parent somebody who's very dependent on us. And they're saying, no, I'm good. I want to be me. I want to explore. And they're starting to push back and wanting to own their own responsibility. So those are some rough ages. And if you notice in each of those ages, there's an incredible amount of learning that's going on. It's not until we're old that we decide like, nope, I've learned everything I need to learn. I'm no longer curious. Then we get boring and stale, right? So like, we don't want that. We want to keep that curiosity going. But those ages learning is happening so, so, so fast. They're discovering about the world around them. They're discovering about themselves. Uh, it's just really fascinating. So let's just talk about this as, as parents, not in, in any other way than just as parents. When you look at this, you know, cause you've got this great span of children uh, in age, in age bracket. Um, do you see that clearly now? Did you see it when it was happening or is it now clearer because of the work you guys are doing as a, as a, as a couple? I would say it's clearer now. Yeah. It's clearer now. I, I, yeah. think, I think as we've grown in our understanding of the science around the, the we'll call it the uh, living laboratory that yep. we've been a part of for yeah. these years is that, that we can see that. So we're, we have a, our youngest is 11. So he's emerging into that cognitive stage that Ryan's talking about. And mm -hmm. we're, we're watching his, his thoughts start to become crisp and clear. And, and then to that exact point of his passions and his interests and what he dives into where we find him spending time and how it can change on a dime, can change in a day. Um, but the social part is, is huge. So just seeing... Mm -hmm. That and then where we're on the other side at, at like our kids at home is our daughter preparing for university life or career life. So our 17-year-old senior in high school who endured, I think, a you know, what may, many would consider a really challenging senior year. It was washed away. You know, mm -hmm. with the pandemic, it was washed. And as she's she's having to to uh, sort through that disappointment and and still decide where her compass bearing is going to take her and seeing that play out. So yeah, anecdotally, we watch these occur. And then we, you know, when we learn the science that helps us see, ah, that's why this one is here. And that's why that one is there. So it, I think 
that would be clear to mm -hmm. us as we've uh, as we've progressed. Yeah, because one of the things we talked about in an earlier episode was the expectations we put on our children. And I think that a lot of those expectations, um, of course, as we talked about, they come from our own background and our own psychological issues. Um, but a lot of those expectations are about things like, well, you were really good when you were young. Why are you such a pain in the ass now? Mm -hmm. um, and that's because your kid's mm -hmm. not the same kid. And I think a lot right. of them are trying to shove that kid back in that box right? Um, rather than letting them evolve and develop you know, and um, in our relationship program, we said, we're going to tell you everything about relationship by telling you everything about child development. And they go, oh, okay. And I said, how put your hand up if you have a new child who is between zero and one year old, and people would put their hand up and I go, um, do you remember when the kid was born? They go, oh, yeah. And I go, do you remember that this thing basically cried pooped its pants fed that was it pretty much it you know it didn't do much more than that and they go yeah and i go do you remember that you were madly in love and they go absolutely i go you're in love with a loaf of bread really i mean there's not much personality going on um it doesn't do much apart from cry scream uh poop and sleep that's kind of it and they go, yeah. And I go, what's the next stage? And they go, I don't know. And I go, put your hand up if you have a kid who is 18 months to four years old. They put their hand up and I go, what's that kid like? Oh my God, the terrible twos. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what is it? Yeah. Well, do you think all kids go through that? Yeah. To a lesser or greater degree. And actually, to if it's a lesser degree, put money in the, in the therapy fund. You're going to go through some issues. <laughs> um, so... The, the, the greater degree is actually better than the lesser degree. Okay. So they, okay, do you understand that? Yes. What's the next stage? We don't know. Well, uh, have you ever had a teenage kid? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Right. Then is the ne next stage. And do you understand that? Yeah. And I said, and do you know who you are to your children when you're a teen? And they go, no. And I go, you're an idiot. That's who you are. And, and right. a wallet. In a wallet. You're a wallet, <laughs> and a, you're a bank account, and an idiot. Yeah. Right? The only thing you're good for is the money in your pocket, but you're an idiot. Your advice is stupid. So that's the next developmental stage. And then, if you are fortunate, and if you've done a decent job, and if your kids are reasonably well developed, and if there is no big issues, there's going to come a point where your kids might be old enough that they'll go, you know what? You're not as daft as I thought you were. You might have a couple of good things to say. Right. And that's pretty much relationship because when we meet each other, we fall in madly in love with each other. We see only the good in each other. We look at how similar we are, which is part of our attachment theory. It's part of our bonding need. So we're looking at what's similar in phase two of relationship, which is again, 18 months in any relationship you have, whether it's with your teacher, with your, with your therapist, with your children, with your lover, there comes a point at second stage of relationship, which is called power struggle. Mm -hmm. And that power struggle is going to take place, whether it's with a baby who's now 18 months old, or whether it's a relationship with a lover. And in that stage, you've gone from look at how similar we are and how much we've got in common to we don't have anything in common. In phase one of a relationship, we're saying, 
oh my God, it's so wonderful. You know, he can finish my sentences. We think so alike. And in phase two, it's like, will you stop finishing my sentences? Get out of my head. That's phase two. We're different. Your kid is the same. Your kid's saying no, because it's realizing that it is not physically you because of developmental stages of a child is there as a point in its life where it actually thinks it is you and you are it. Mm -hmm. And then that second stage is, oh, I'm not. Okay. So there's a little bit of separation. And we can see that with the way a child will wander off. A little baby will wander off and will play. That's why kids love peekaboo because you've gone. You don't exist. You don't exist. And then you're back. Oh my God, this is so exciting, <laughs> right? Because you've disappeared from life. Uh, my, uh, my nephew right now, he is, uh, he is about 16 months, 15 months. And he's got this great thing where he puts a blanket over his head and you go, oh my God, Kai is gone. And he stays really still. Where did Kai go? And then he pulls the blanket off and he goes, <laughs> because he thinks he's invisible. <laughs> he actually thinks he's invisible. He's like 13, 15 months like, He thinks he's invisible. These are stages, you know, and then those stages are all natural and developed. So in dealing with these natural stages of, of development and development of relationship, how does that play into the strengths model? Because what might seem like a strength in a child, again, you know, like a passion, at one stage could be very different at another stage. So I'm really interested in this interplay between here's the natural developmental stages and here's the strength finder model. Talk to us about that overlay. Wow, it went silent. Did I? Yeah, I'll chime in. What did I do to you guys? <laughs> Let me go on this. Um, Which guy in the blue shirt's talking first? <laughs> the blue, yeah. <laughs> Great shirt, Brandon. Bluebeard. Um, Blue you know, you reminded me when you were talking about these stages um, of how the Western world views the teenage years. So I didn't know this until I was in graduate school, but did you know that teenage adolescence is considered? Um, a culturally bound syndrome, a mental disorder in the Western world. Like it genuinely is like we look at teenagers and like they're rebellious, they're defiant, they're obstinate, they don't listen to you, there's tons of conflict. And we look at that and it's like, oh my gosh. But it only really occurs in very in independent societies, right? Like the Western world. And we're like, why is this going on? Okay, well, I'm gonna hold on to that one for a second. There's also a finding that 10% of parents in the Western worlds are all burned out. They're yeah. burned out of parenting. They're just so exhausted that they're just like, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. It looks like depression. They no longer have the energy. They struggle to get motivated to do anything. They don't want to interact with anybody. They're sad a lot. They don't have any hope, right? So they're burned out in parenting. And the common denominator, both between the conflict we have in our homes with our teenagers and the burnout is the same thing is that we try to be these perfect parents who have control of every yep. single thing and it ends up burning us out and it ends up causing this immense amount of conflict with our teenagers who are saying, no, don't control my life. Let me be different from you. We're no longer the same. I'm no longer in your uterus, mom. I'm out here <laughs> like I live free. And so it, it just strikes me how important- I'm not in is. your uterus, mom, but I am in your wallet, dad. 
That's right. Oh, <laughs> right. mom. Oh, um, mom. Right. So it's just it's just so important for us to remember to parent the kid we have right in front of us, not the kid we used to have, not the two-year-old, not the one that was in the womb, not the five-year-old, but the 16-year-old that's looking us in the face and saying, I don't want to take Spanish anymore. Like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to take any more AP classes. And if that's the kid that's right in front of us, that's who we parent, not this hypothetical kid or this past kid. And we just have to remember what this kid in front of us really needs. And that's a really great point. But where I want to come to with that is also back to structure. Yeah. Okay, well, you know what, Johnny, um, this is a commitment. Mm -hmm. You've made a commitment. I know you don't want to go to Spanish anymore. You don't want to play soccer anymore. But you didn't want to play tennis anymore. And you didn't want to learn French anymore. But you really want to do Spanish and you really want to do French. And I put the money in and we've made a commitment and you've made a commitment. So if I'm parenting the kid in front of me, do I just go, okay? No, no, no. no. You, parent, you parent the whole kid, right? So part of parenting him isn't necessarily saying, hey, what you like and what you're interested in right now is it you're also, you're parenting the kid in front of you to become the adult that they should be in 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're saying, hey, I, I see that you don't want to be in AP classes anymore, but you made a commitment. So we're going to finish out the year in AP classes. And next year, if you don't want to, we can have a reconversation. Or maybe you say, nope, I love you, but we're going to hold you to this. Or maybe it's, okay, fine, whatever it is. But I think it's it's so much more complex than just saying, hey, here's the rule that will always be the rule for every single kid at every single stage. I think we get into problems when we do that. Absolutely. Couldn't agree. Our, uh, our second oldest, our son, it was the one that would announce the next adventure. I'm going to do this. And so the day that he came home driving a uh, Volkswagen Beetle. And we said, wow, where, where, where did you get that car? And he said, uh, oh, I, I, I traded my truck. I said, how did you do that? I, I own the truck, the pink slips in my name. He goes, oh, I signed your name for you. And I went ahead and traded my truck because I got a good deal on this Beetle. And uh, that evening when the car wouldn't start anymore and the muffler <laughs> fell out of it, we said, wow, that was an interesting choice you just made to steal my truck and buy a baby. Can we get a hold of the guy that did it? I, I can't find him anymore. He, we don't know where he went. Okay, well, guess what? You get to now live with the consequence of your beetle. <laughs> and further, the next vehicle we get, you get to purchase it and you get to pay insurance because now that you've arrived at adult decisions, apparently, we're going to continue in the lesson and let you now take that on. And so, and as I said earlier, about 15, my kids lose their mind. Lance, my second oldest, he, he extended the journey for us. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the same kid, so fast forward three years, he's in the midst of, of university, excellent student, very intelligent. School is no problem for him. Arrives home and says, mom and dad, I'm dropping out of college. I'm going to go into an apprenticeship to become an electrician. And he, and he proceeded to explain why that decision was sound, what he had researched. And we looked at him and said, their son is a great choice. If you're going to do it, though, stick with the program, put it in the five years, and, and you'll have a great career in front of you. And, and just this last year, he graduated from his program. And this young man makes more on the weekends <laughs> than he does during the week because of how in demand his profession is yep. Great decision. So, yep. so what we, what we learned as a parents going through this process is, you know, 
that kid who took the truck and gave it away and then learned to live with the adult consequence of paying his insurance and getting his ex vehicle was the same young man that is now a father of his own two going on three kids is thriving, you know, work that he does. And so he, it's, it's, we, Ryan said it really well, we want to raise adults who take responsibility for what they decide, what that decision is going to look like. They're going to fail us, right? They're going to frustrate us, but of course, and they're going to, they're going to thrill us and, and, and exceed our expectations at times. And all through that, if we can maintain curiosity, who is this person? Right. What stage are they in? How do I help guide, but not get so into this that I, I don't account for failure. I don't account for bad choices right. because they have to make them. Mm-hmm. And, and if we could teach them to learn how to accept the responsibility for their choices, we're going to create a, a situation with a person who could do pretty well with that, with that one takeaway. But that's part of the challenge, right? Is this um, a lot of the time parents, even though they won't often admit it until it's too late, uh, I put all these expectations on their kid to be something that they couldn't be or wanted to be, or something that, that is got bragging rights to it. Right. You know, um, you know, uh, my, my family are Jewish. And so, you know, we used to say the only thing being better than being a doctor or, or a lawyer is to be a rabbi. Um, <laughs> the, the bragging rights go up, you know? Um, and my wife is, is a Brown lady and, you know, in her family, it's the same thing, right? You know, the, you know, you can become, you can become a doctor or a lawyer. It's academics. Right. Um, and, and a lot of the time it's got nothing to do with who the person is. Mm-hmm. And so we put these expectations on our kid that are really about our bragging rights or about how we were not able to do something and mm-hmm. acknowledging that kid for what it is they want. Because, you know, I, I went and spoke at a, um, at a, I don't know what you call it. I can't remember what it's called now, but for these uh, high schoolers who were, the kids were between 15 and 20 and um, uh, it was for startups and stuff. And, and I said, listen, I want you to just, have a little piece of advice from me and they do whatever you want. And I said, here's the thing. Um, please don't do what, you, what they think you should do. Mm-hmm. And they go, okay. And I said, and also don't do what you think you should do yourself. And they go, what do you mean? I go, just cause you're good at something doesn't mean you should do it. Uh, when I was a kid, my art was in galleries. By the time I was 11, everybody, including me thought I was going to be an artist. Um, I, I don't paint or draw anymore at all. But I'm still an artist. It just doesn't have the same form. I don't paint. I don't draw. I don't. My art is people. That is my mm-hmm. art. Um, it, it's. I'm still sculpting. I'm still chipping away. I'm still creating my Davids in every person that I'm working with, taking away the excess of what's not not needed to be there. And I think that oftentimes we get fixated on. Well, I'm good at math, so this is what I should do. Mm-hmm. as opposed to anything else and and then that gets reinforced by the parents because there's bragging rights as opposed to seeing that individual um and so that for me is the really interesting thing around these developmental stages uh which i'm really glad you brought up ryan is that the the shifting curiosity 
And do you as a parent have the agility to, to mm. abandon the dream you had for your child? Yeah. Uh, Brendan, you told a story. Um, I heard you telling it um, on another interview, um, which I thought was a really great example of this, where you talked about your son playing football. Would you be willing to share that example with us? Because you, you come from being a football guy and then your son was playing football and you were trying to be the good football guy. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it, it's, uh, it's the same young man I was just talking about, Lance. And so when Lance was entering into high school, we had found as we were making a shift in our parenting that I, I wanted to be more involved with him, wanted mm -hmm. to spend more time, wanted to get to know him. And uh, the previous year he had done a sport, I had hung around, but I wanted a chance to coach him. And so when he signed up for football, I, I took that opportunity to volunteer and I got picked up by the, the, the school as one of the volunteer coaches. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, here it is. We have arrived. <laughs> Best you know, year ever. My, my boy is about to follow Big Daddy's footprints, and we are now in in my domain. So I, the whole summer, I am just preparing him and building him up, and my excitement is is evident because now we we get to get into a domain that I I just so am thrilled by and enjoy. And so as we're building up, I'm noticing that Lance's interest is not quite with me, and, and I figure just wait till you put those pads on. Just wait till the first crack of a of a good drill where you get to you get to hit people and no one says you're in trouble for it. <laughs> you get to run into other people. It's like it's like a boy's dream. You just get to hit people and then nobody has a consequence of it. And so you know, I can tell he's trying to believe me. Well, the day of practice comes and we we go to the sports store to grab a few odds and ends. And as I'm driving them there, I am now fulfilling my dream of just here you go son here's what you're going to do if they're going to be successful let's let's go be that uh that that team together and we pull into the parking lot and this this is a 14 year old young man and and just to give you an idea I'm a big guy and he's not a big guy <laughs> so our size disparity is big and I would say up to that point Lance was intimidated by me because I was an authoritarian dad and I was strict and yep. so he did not often speak plainly to me. Mm -hmm. So this is what made this next interaction all the more pointed to me was we're pulling in the parking lot. And I'm like, all right, son, here's what you're going to do. And I'm wrapping up my, my talk. And he leans over, put his hand on my shoulder. And he goes, hey, dad, I just need you to know that I'm not like you. And I'm not going to play football the same way that you did. Awesome. And in that moment, it was this oh, like, funk, <laughs> like just this yeah. thud within my chest around there is so much to what you just said. And I had no response. I, I couldn't give anything back other than go get him. And, and sure enough, the, 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 he played one season, um, had, had a decent time. His team was terrible. They didn't win a single game all year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, even coaching. Out, <laughs> and even being out there as a coach, uh, you know, trying to work with him, trying to work with the team. And they were not a very talented team. And the coaching could have been a lot better. But at the end of the season, he comes and goes, hey, dad, I'm, I'm, this isn't for me. And at that, by that point, by the end of the season, I realized, you know, there's a whole lot more to you than what I'm even seeing right now. So yeah. let's talk about where we go from here. And, and I, that summer, I asked Lance to take the, the Clifton Strengths assessment because yep. a, a teenager can do this. And when he took the assessment, what we came back to was he could not have been more correct. We're totally opposite people. 
-hmm. And now I have a choice. I can raise Lance to be who I want him to be. The way I want him to go. Football was just a, a side dish. There were much more important entrees that I wanted him to become. Or I could say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig, I'm gonna become a, a student of Lance. I want a PhD in Lance. Mm -hmm. Who are you and how do I help you become the best version of who you are? And it changed everything, dog. Everything about our relationship to this day changed that one fateful summer, Sacramento, hot August day. <laughs> But I, I, you know, I think that that is such a profound story because, you know, thank you for sharing how, how excited you were to have your son become you and then realize that's not who he is mm -hmm. and with his wisdom and his strength and his enormous courage. It must've been, you know, like you said, you were an intimidating figure in his life. Yeah. I mean, I know that. Uh, my boys are much taller than me and I still intimidate the shit out of them just by my physical presence right. and the fact that I was the authority when they were little. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, that doesn't go away. And so when they stand up to you, it's so powerful mm -hmm. and so poignant. Uh, but for me, and I want to salute you in that is not just it's powerful and it's poignant, but that you shut up and you learned mm -hmm. and that is rare because that's not how we most of us learn to parent most of us learn to parent by let me correct you son let me put you back in line son let me tell you how it's gonna be son rather than oh you're not me mm -hmm. so i i, I want to and this section here, because it's so powerful, it's so profound. And I want to talk about in the final section of the show, I want to talk about applying strength, um, strength tests and, and, you know, what that is in the context of parenting, because as, as we saw, talked about earlier, it's something that you put into leadership. Um, you do it as, you know, training the people in management positions and, I want to hear how you're applying that to parenting and what you saw in it, Ryan, in the context of being a psychologist and then, and then saying, well, okay, hold on a second. Does this move over? Because let's face it, there is a million personality tests out there mm -hmm. and a lot of them are crap. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, you know, uh, they're too generic or some of them are, you know, uh, poorly designed or uh are just really out of date or out of touch with the evolution of human beings who now live in this interconnected world so i'm very interested in applying that into parenting so for you dear listener i hope that you'll stay with us we're one click away from our final part of these delicious episodes of curiosity bites with our special guests uh, Brandon and Annalyn Miller and Dr. Ryan Darby. And we're talking about becoming an incredible parent and playing to the strengths of your children rather than forcing them into who you think you should be. We'll be back very soon. So stay curious, my friends. Stay curious. Stay curious.